Well, good morning. How are you all? Welcome to TBA. My name is Dave Shive, and I am one of the pastors here. And this is my absolutely amazing and beautiful wife, Ashley. And yes, yes, I did marry out of my league. So, absolutely. No, I'm just kidding. Good morning, everybody. I want to give a special shout-out to all my tiara-wearing Princess Warriors. We had an amazing time at the women's retreat this weekend. If you weren't able to make it, there's going to be more, and I hope that you will join us because it was life-changing, and it was a great time. And both of us want to just say uh, Happy Mother's Day to all you moms. If you're a mom or a mom-to-be, you're getting ready to be a mom, would you please just stand up if you're a mom or a mom-to-be? Stand up. Can we give them a hand? Thank you so much. Moms do so much every single day. They are the backbone of the home, and they wear so many different hats, from chef to chauffeur, teacher, comforter, manager, computer operator, psychologist, DMT, facility manager, and the list goes on and on and on. And if you paid moms for all of those jobs, for every hour they worked those jobs, their annual salary would be over $120,000 a year. They would, but moms do it for free, and they often do it, what they do often goes unnoticed and unappreciated, and so we have this one day out of the year where we get to say thanks and show our appreciations to mom. You know, there is one thing I think most moms would agree would be great to show your appreciation, and that would be a happy home. One day, or a few more, with the family out having a good time with no arguments, no selfishness, just a day on the happy train. <laughs> okay, and so today we're gonna. <laughs> so today we're gonna be continuing in our study of Ephesians. So if you have a Bible or you have a Bible app on your <clears throat> phone, go ahead and open up to Ephesians chapter five because that's where we're gonna be at today. And while today's message isn't specifically toward mothers, um, I think it'll be about what moms want most. And what moms want most would be harmony in their home. So I want to read the whole passage to you before we get started so you can have the context of what we're talking about. And it starts in verse 21, and it says this, Further submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of his body, the church. And as the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and And without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery. 
but it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. See, in this passage, in the beginning of this passage, Paul is he's pleading for unity. He's pleading for unity within the church because the verses before this passage, Paul is talking about living a very spirit-filled life with each other in church and the relationship that we have to each other. And then he moves into unity within the home. First, with a spirit-filled marriage, which is what we're going to talk about today. And then next week, when we talk about the verses after this passage, Paul talks about having a spirit-filled family. And because we're going to be talking about family next week, and those verses specifically deal with the relationships that we have with our kids, like Brian said in the announcements, all of our kids, K through um, kindergarten and up, are going to be in the service with us. And so we're going to do some really fun things for them, so you're going to make sure you want to bring them back next week with you. But let's get back to our passage. Unity in the home begins with submission. But submit is a very hard word. Especially when you say wives, submit to your husbands. See, that's why I've asked Ashley to be with me today because I wanted you to get a female perspective about what this passage of Scripture is really saying. First, let me say one thing to dispel any crazy myths. Our marriage is not perfect. No. We fight with each other just like you all do. We're selfish just like you all are. We're even mean to each other. Um, just like everybody else. So when we talk about it today, please understand we're talking to each other just as much as everybody else so that we all <clears throat> excuse me, can learn what God wants for our marriages. So first let me say submit. That was really hard for me, really hard for me the first time we read through this a long time ago. I was raised by a mom and a dad who taught me that I could do and be absolutely anything I wanted to be, and I could do it better than any man. Granted, we are all girls in my family. But they supported me in every way to teach me that's what I could do. I was self-sufficient, taught to be independent. So when you read the word submit, at first I'm thinking, why do I want to do something that's going to let someone else tell me how to be and what to do? What if my ideas are better? What am I going to do? So why do I automatically need to submit and be second because I'm a woman? Well, submitting is a difficult word, I think, for any of us. See, the Greek word in the text is used is uh, hippotasso, and it means to subject oneself or bring under control, put in subject, subjugation. See, the origin actually comes from a military term, meaning to arrange or rank under. That's how they ranked military people. People, the, you know, the, the privates would submit to the captains in, in an army. Now, before everybody comes up, ladies, and rushes the stage to beat Dave up, that's not exactly what they're saying, is that wives have no rights and we don't get to be heard. Actually, in the New Testament, um, women are mentioned in many important ministries. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Susanna traveled with Jesus and the 12 disciples and supported the ministry financially. Paul commended Phoebe and other female co-workers. Priscilla and her husband taught Apollos. Women prayed and prophesied in the meetings of the Corinthian church. And many believe female deacons were involved in the mercy ministries. See, I really think 
to understand what Paul is saying here is we've got to break a couple of myths. Okay? The first myth is that men and women are not equally valued. Listen to what I'm saying. That men and women are not equally valued. See, very early in the Bible, we read that both men and women are in the image of God. In fact, the first verse that tells us that God created human beings, he also tells us that both male and female are in the image of God. In, in Genesis 1:27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. See, do you realize how amazing that is? No other creature in all of creation, not even the angels, are said to be made in the image of God. It's a privilege given only to us as men and women. See, we are more like God than any other creatures in the universe. For we alone are in the image of God. And I think that any discussion of equality of men and women must start where the Bible starts. We must not start with our differences, but with our equality, the equality that we have in the image of God. See, every time that we talk to each other as men and women, or we even look at each other, we need to remember that this person was created by God in the image of God. And we should treat them with that amount of respect. Equality, men and women. We need to treat each other with equal dignity and equal value, always. We are both created in the image of God. See, nowhere in the Bible does it say that men are more in the image of God than women are. We are equal. And men and women, if, if, we're, if we equally share in the image of God, then we're equally as important to God, and we're equally as valued by God. See, we have equal worth from God for all of, all of eternity, because that's how we were created. And regardless of what anybody else says, regardless of what the world says, if God thinks us to be equal in value, then for me that settles it forever. That settles the question of personal worth. For God's evaluation is the true standard by which we live for. The second myth that I think that we need to clear up is that equality means sameness. See, there's a growing trend of unisex in our culture today saying that men and women are basically the same. We're not talking about equality here, but we're talking about sameness, meaning that every man and woman is to be the same, that there are no differences, that apart from our physical differences, we're exactly the same. We have the same abilities, the same traits, the same skill sets, the same roles in the family, and that we are completely interchangeable. Now, I'm not talking about exceptions here, but I'm talking in generalities because I'm sure somewhere out there in the world there is a woman who can do everything better than I can do it. But we are different, and not just from the obvious physical difference. See, I really believe that women are from Venus and men are from Mars. For example, we see color completely different. If you look on the left, that's how women see color. They've got every kind of color, marciano, cyan, maroon, plum, eggplant, grape. For guys, it's red, purple, pink, orange. So we see colors differently. That was supposed to be funny. It's a little hard to read, and it's maraschino. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Submit. 
No, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just joking. Anyway, well, when it comes to emotions, women are way deeper, much more complicated than men. Just a little. Yeah, women seem to have a few more buttons than men do. Well, they even have scientific data. There is scientific data to prove that we are different. They did a brain scan of both men and women, and they put them side by side to compare, and here's what they found. So you can see the male brain is full of a lot of things. Or the female brain's a little different. Okay. All joking aside, they actually do have evidence that shows that our brains work differently. Women tend to use both sides of our brain, um, favoring the right side where feelings and nurturing and relationship parts of our brain operate, and therefore we tend to be more relationship motivated. Where men, on the other hand, only use half a brain. That's supposed to be funny, too. <laughs> Men, on the other hand, only tend to use one side of their brain. Uh, and it's usually uh, where their thinking uh, comes from, language and logic operate. So therefore, men tend to be more conquer-oriented, more interested in facts and information, and really less aware of relational needs. Women tend to be more in touch with their emotions. And a man is more concerned with the facts. Women will give sympathy and express emotion. A man tends to give solutions. Women are m more personal. Men are more objective. A woman finds much of her identity in her relationships. And a man usually finds his identity through his accomplishments. And I know this one will shock you, but the average woman speaks about 25,000 words a day. Where the average man only speaks around 12,500 12, a day. See, for women, everything is in relation to everything else. Where in men, we tend to be more compartmentalized. And the following chart gives you a real good example how women are really relational, but men are really compartmentalized. So if you go shopping on a shopping trip to buy a pair of pants, you can see the path that the female takes and the cost for that and the, and the path that a man takes. Ladies, I have a tip. If you want to get your men to go shopping with you, make a game out of it. I'll give you an example. There was one time Dave and I were going to go on a vacation, and I wanted to get a new sundress. I thought that was just exceedingly important. And I asked him to go shopping to Dillard's with me. And I said, okay, they're having a clearance sale. It's the best time to go. We need to go now. So he begrudgingly, okay, we'll go. So we get there, and you know how they have the rounders that are all clearance, and everybody is there because that's what's on sale. So Dave looks at me and goes, okay, what color, what size? And I was like, blue and why? He goes, because I'm going to go find it. Boom. Dave dives in amongst the women who are in the rounders and they just were, starts I mean, pulling. they were everywhere. I'm like shoving women out of the way to get in there. He's pulling every blue dress he can find. Just boom. I'm literally throwing them. Here, take this. Go to the dressing room. Go to the dressing room. I'm like, okay. So I go to the dressing room. He's like, I'll bring you more. Just go. So I put on the first one thinking, okay, I'm going to come and show them. And I go out and I look at the rounders. There's no one there but Dave. All the ladies have taken off. And he walks up to me with like 15 more dresses. And he goes, okay, now what color shoes will go with this? And I'm like, blue. And he goes, that's awesome. And I, it was amazing. I had my own personal shopper in heaven. 
cleared the way. So, um, sorry. Sorry. Okay, the point is that God made us different. Different strengths and different weaknesses with different qualities and different characteristics and because of that, different purposes. We're both created in the image of God, male and female, but we're created to reflect the character and qualities of God, each of us different, but each of us still carrying qualities of God. So all of those things that make us different are still a part of God. God is nurturing. He is relational and he is empathetic. But God is also very logical, very factual, and very detailed. See, we were not created to be the same. We were created to be different. And thank God we are different. I mean, I cannot imagine being married to somebody who was just like me. There's just no way it would work. It wouldn't. I need my wife. She has the other half of the qualities of God that I don't have. That's why I'm attracted to her and why she's attracted to me. See, she fills in all the gaps for my life. She completes me. (laughs) It's just crazy to say that we need to act and be the same because we're not the same. And because men and women have different qualities and strengths and weaknesses, we do have different purposes. The husband has the role of leadership, and the wife has the role of supporter and encourager. Again, we are not talking about value. In God's eyes, we are equally valued. We are equally needed and equally as important. And it isn't about sameness, because God created us differently on purpose. He created us the way we are to fill the roles he designed. Not man is better or woman is better, just different in the way we do and the way we think. And because we're different, he gave us different roles. The best way that I can describe it is like a fork and a spoon. See, both are designed to eat food with, and both are equally as valuable. Both do certain tasks equally as well. A fork is just as good at picking up mashed potatoes as a spoon is. But a fork isn't so good at tomato soup, just like a spoon isn't so good at steak. It's not that they can't be used in those situations. It's just they don't work as well when they're working outside of what they were designed for. And see, that's the problem. That's the problem that comes in for us, is when we go outside of God's design, when we abuse those roles that God has given us as men and women, or when we allow sin to distort those roles, and that distortion of that role has been happening since the very beginning, since the fall of man. Look at Genesis chapter 3. This is God telling Adam and Eve what curse they will live under because of their sin. And he says to them, Then I said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in pain you will give birth. And listen to this part. And you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. See, this is the curse that we live in and under because there is sin in the world. A woman is always going to have the desire to control, have the power, or overthrow the authority of her husband. But a man is always going to rule over her and potentially lord that power over her and try to dominate his wife. And the curse plays out even today. It's not gone away. The divorce rate in America has remained relatively unchanged since the 70s. And things like race, family background, and religion 
socioeconomic status have little or no effect. Roughly half of all marriages in America are going to end in divorce. And if that's the case, if that's the case, if being a Christian doesn't affect the divorce rate, then that means we are not following God's original plan for marriage. See, that's why I think Paul lays out his case here in Ephesians about how a marriage is supposed to work, how it should look like, because he's trying to create harmony and unity in the home through God's original plan. This is God's original plan for men and women. So let's look at it a little bit more in detail. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. And this is where I really want you to hear from Ashley. Because submission doesn't mean lesser worth. It doesn't mean lesser worth. Is the son less than the father? The son submits to the father. Is he less? They're equal in deity, but he's not less because his submission to the Father is his glory. You see, submission is an act of love. Love for God first and love for my husband second. I willingly submit to God because he is my creator and my Lord. He knows me intimately and desires what is best for me always. And I trust that. I submit to my husband because my God and my Lord tells me to. I love my husband, but he is human, and he is going to make mistakes. He is going to make me angry, and there will always be conflict. I trust, however, that God created my husband to lead me and my son towards God. See, I know Dave intimately too, and I know his desire is what's best for me and what's best for my family. Submission to Dave doesn't mean my voice isn't heard. It doesn't mean my opinion isn't asked for. And it doesn't mean that I have to be and do whatever Dave wants. That's not it. It means that I choose to support my husband by respectfully offering my opinion when it's warranted, not demanding my way. And it can mean keeping silent when that is what's best, and that is hard. Submission is never forced. It is never coerced, and it should never be given begrudgingly. It means I love my role as a supporter, as an encourager, and a helper. I find great joy when my boys succeed. Ladies, you may not understand why God chose this man to be your leader, You may even think that you'd do a better job, and you might. But that is not what God has asked of us. God has clearly told us we need to step back and allow our husbands to lead. Even if they seem seem unwilling, we need to encourage their leadership with our support and with our submission. Don't demand your way. If your husband is leading in the will of God, Submit. Don't belittle. Respect always. Find freedom and peace and joy in supporting your husband and helping him. 
And while there are women who may be better equipped to lead than certain men, that's not the role role that God has ordained. Now, some of you might say, well, that's not fair. Well, what is fair? And whose standard of fairness are you judging by? Are you judging by God's standard or man's standard? Because does the son say to the father, it's not fair for you to be in charge simply because you are the father? Or does the son say to the father, you've been in charge for 15 billion years, now it's my turn for the next 15 billion? No, of course not. That's not what he says. Instead, Jesus says, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. You see, the order of the relationship within the Trinity, it's fair. And the order of relationships within marriage, it's fair. It's fair and it's honoring because it was created by God. This created order honors men and honors women. It does not lead to abuse. It actually guards against it. It values women and men equally. It does not suppress a woman's gifts or a woman's rights. People have done that in the past. But God's order encourages the correct way. Guys, for you, this is what you need to know. Head of the household does not mean boss. Okay? It doesn't mean boss. It means servant leadership, and servant being the key word. It's not a leadership that makes all of the decisions. It's a leadership that leads by example. It's a leadership that benefits those who are being led. A good leader is one who thinks of himself last and his team first. A good leader is one who is unselfish and sacrifices for the betterment of the team. Look at how Paul lays it out. Here's what Paul says. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. See, we are to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Guys, do you understand what kind of love that is? That's an unselfish, sacrificial I will die for you kind of love. It's a love that says I will take all the humiliation and pain and suffering to give you the best life, to give you the best kind of love. It's a love that says I will lead the way that Jesus led from a position of humility, not with harshness, but with gentle words, not with anger, but with meekness, not with selfishness, but with sacrifice. See, the problem is we're not doing that. Guys, we're not doing that. Part of the reason there is so much conflict in the home is that we as men are not loving our wives as they deserve to be loved. Marriages are falling apart because we are not leading our families spiritually. And then the women have to step up and they have to play a role they were not designed to fill. Men, where are we? Where are we? Are we investing in our kids? Are we investing in our wives? Are we teaching our kids how to love God? Are we showing our wives our love by modeling it 
to them? Does your family see you read the Bible? Do they see you and hear you pray? Do they know the importance of God in your life? Do they see you make serving God the number one priority in your life? See, we are supposed to be the spiritual leaders in our homes and in our church. God has designed us for this purpose. Why are we not fulfilling the role that we were created for? Let me ask you this question, guys. Let me ask you this question. How good is your marriage right now? How good is it? How is the harmony in your family? Because it's a direct reflection of your leadership. I hate to put this in your lap, but the truth is responsibility of unity rests with us as leaders of the home. Ladies, are you respecting your husband when he does try to offer godly leadership? Are you supporting him by reading the Bible to learn what God asks of us? Or are you creating conflict when he tries to assert his authority? And for all of us, are we submitting our lives, all of us, are we submitting our lives, are we putting them under the control of Christ? Because the truth, in, the truth is, in a Christian marriage, there are not two partners, but there are three. You, your spouse, and Christ. A marriage without Christ at the center will always be subject to the curse that we got from Adam and Eve. Look at this chart. On the right side of the chart, you have areas of aggressiveness. Those are, the, those, those are where they had their beginning in Genesis. See, a husband can be selfish, harsh, domineering, and he can act like a tyrant. But this is not the biblical headship that God talks about. It's a distortion of it. A wife can demonstrate these areas of aggressiveness also when she resists and continually struggles against her husband's leadership, not supporting it, but fighting against it, constantly creating conflict. She can become a usurper or a stealer of his authority as the godly leader. And this is a tragic distortion of God's plan. On the other hand, on the left side of the chart are the opposite. Um, the errors of passivity. See, a husband, he can abdicate his leadership. And he, he can ne- neglect his responsibilities. He doesn't discipline his children. He sits and watches TV while he drinks beer all day long and he does nothing. The family's not going to church regularly, and he's passive and does nothing. The family keeps going further in debt, and he closes his eyes to it and does nothing. Some relative or a friend is verbally harassing his wife, and he does nothing. This is also a very tragic distortion of the biblical pattern that God has for us. A wife can also commit errors of passivity. She cannot offer her opinion, her valuable wisdom, and her insight. She can just say, yes, dear, whatever you say, to everything, even when she knows what they're doing is wrong and it's not biblical. Or her husband can be verbally abusive or even physically abusive, and she never objects, never tries to go and find help. Or she never actually ever expresses her own opinion and her own preferences. She just is a doormat that gets stepped on. Now, we all have different backgrounds and personalities and temperaments. Um, We also have different areas in which we struggle. Therefore, some of us may lean to one side or the other, but in order to maintain a a healthy biblical balance, we've got to keep reading God's Word. 
I know we say this all the time, but this is the solution to life. God's Word is the solution to life. We've got to be in God's Word every single day, and we've got to continue to pray for God's help each day and continue to follow Christ in obedience to God's Word the best that we can. The band can come on up. Um, the key to a successful marriage is living a spirit-filled life, a life where the whole family is submitting to the leadership of Christ in every area of their lives. Husbands, listen to me. If you want a wife that is respectful, a wife that is in partnership with you to make sure that your marriage succeeds, then you have to begin by submitting to Christ. And you have to begin loving your wife unconditionally, sacrificially, with her being only second to God. And wives, do you want a husband that loves you that way? Then you have to submit to Christ. And you have to submit to the leadership of your husband. Support him. Support his leadership. Encourage him when he does it. Bring all of your knowledge, your experience, your opinions, and your insight to bear in every decision that is made. But trust that your husband will ultimately make the right decision and is being led by God. See, marriage is never easy. It, and I, I just want to say again, Ashley and I were standing up here, and when she said earlier, we're not perfect, we're not. We don't have it all together. We just don't. We have great days, but we have horrible days too. There's brokenness in our lives, just like there's a brokenness in your lives. And marriage is not easy. It's not. It takes work. Always takes work. But I believe the key, I believe the key to marriage is centering your life on Christ. When we sit at the foot of the cross, when we are at the foot of the cross, then God, and we're submitting humbly before God, and saying, God, I can't do this. This is not in me. My marriage, I can't do it. You've got to be the one that puts it together. You've got to be the one that makes it work. When we do those things, and we're obedient to how God instructs us, then I think that is the key to successful marriage. It's, it's the key not just to marriage. It's the key to life. It's the key to everything that we do. Will you pray with me, please? Father, I just want to thank you so much for your amazing love and grace that you have poured out on all of us. Father, first, I just want to pray that we would humble ourselves before you. God, we would learn to know what it means to submit to you, to your word, to the plan that you have for our lives. God, I want to pray over every marriage in this place today. God, for those marriages that are maybe even on the verge of, of, of falling apart. God, I know that you are in the business of, of restoration and you can take the worst that we do. You can take our ashes and you can make something very, very beautiful out of them. And there is always hope in you, Lord. So for those marriages, God, I pray for healing. I do, God. I pray that you would heal those who are hurting. Restore marriages in this place. God, for the rest of us who are just going through it day to day, help us to center our lives back in that balance. If we get outside of that balance, God, pull us back in so that we are honoring each other, that we're honoring our wives 
We're respecting our husbands. We give all this to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.